Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, and then we'll be reading from Acts chapter 17, verse 24. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And then from Acts chapter 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and their boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Thank you, Erin. Good morning, everybody. Well, Coop is my name. Um, most people call me Coops, though, so feel free to do that. And uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. Um, why don't we pray as we begin? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can meet, that we can hear from your word. And uh, Father, just um, you know, we pray this morning that you'd help us uh, to hear what you've got to tell us, um, some difficult topics. So, Father, we pray that you would yeah, help us um, to uh, apply those to our hearts. Uh, Father, we ask that you'd help us to understand uh, the things that you've got to say to us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, as Jane said, we're uh, working our way through this Uncommon Sense series. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at this topic, Is Life Sacred? That's the question. And so um, as we look at this question, there's a couple of things initially that I'd like us um, to consider. Firstly, um, why is life important? You know, on one hand, uh, that seems obvious, but what, what is the actual importance of life? Uh, what is the actual importance that we place on life? And, um, you know, I think if we're thinking about the importance of something then um, there's a couple of things that we need to know. We need to know, well, what is, what is that thing? What is that something? We need to know what something is, and we need to know its purpose. So we need to know those two things to work out the importance of something. What is it, and what's its purpose? So um, I'll give you an example. Um, so a light-hearted example, really, but have you ever put together IKEA furniture? I've done a fair bit of that and um, recently. So, you know, you put it together and you come across a part towards the end and you don't know what it is, but everything's sort of working pretty good anyway, so you just throw it out with all the packaging. Um, I've done that and then you realise, actually, those little plastic sticky things, they're actually for the door. They cushion the door so it doesn't slam when the cupboard door closes. Now I know what they are and I know what their purpose is and now they're really important. So I'm diving in the rubbish bin in front of the neighbours and I'm rustling around trying to find those parts. Or uh, maybe another example, take this as a World War II bomb, it was found on a farm uh, in England and apparently the story goes that the farmer's grandparents used to use it as a doorstop. 
And then after them, the next farmer's wife wanted it out of the house. And so, you know, quite, um, you know, I guess logically, they made it part of the fence. And then it was found by some farm workers a few years ago and the military came along and they destroyed it. So I take it that the previous farmers didn't know it was live. <laughs> because if they knew how important that is, if they knew what it was, and they know the, important, the, the uh, purpose of a bomb is to blow things up, you wouldn't use it as a doorstop, would you? Right? You could really walk into the room with a bang, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah. That's not very good, but I thought I'd try it anyway. (laughs) They're actually very polite because that only deserved a groan. (laughs) But all, all of that is just to say that our view of the importance of life, that'll depend on what we think life is and it'll depend on what we think life purpose is. And so we're going to look at what the Bible says about those two things shortly. And I think it's true to say through the ages the importance of life in human society has changed. Uh, This is a letter that an ancient Roman soldier, he wrote to his wife. And it was around the time where Jesus was just an infant. Uh, And he says this, Hilarion to Alice, Alice spelled A-L-I-S, Hilarion to Alice, many greetings. Know that I am still in Alexandria, which apparently back then was sort of the wild west of the empire. Know that I am still in Alexandria, do not worry. I ask you and entreat you to take care of our child. If I receive my pay soon, I'll send it up to you. If perhaps you bear a child in my absence and it's male, let it be. If it's female, throw it out. Dated 17th of June, 29th year of Caesar. Now, that sounds shocking to us, doesn't it? But it was pretty common back then in the Roman Empire. Baby girls left out in the elements to die. And our own culture, you know, we've regarded human life as extremely valuable, haven't we? And largely we still do. But things are changing. There's been a late-term abortion bill just passed recently in South Australian Parliament. And the euthanasia bill actually is just making its way through South Australian Parliament right now. And both of those ages, if you look back uh, to the Roman Empire and today, it's Christians that have stood opposed to those things. In the Roman Empire, Christians were known for going out to the streets, rescuing these babies, taking them in and raising them as their own. And in South Australia, the loudest voices against both of these pieces of legislation have been Christians. It's because Christians value life. And it's because Christians know what life is. They know that life is given by God in his image. Life's given by God in his image. And they know that life's purpose is to be reconciled with God. So life is given by God in his image and life's purpose is to be reconciled with God. And they know these things because the Bible tells them. So as we heard in our reading, Genesis 2 verse 7, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So here is life. This is something that God gives, body and soul together. God gives that. And then back in chapter 1 of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. 
so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So you see in these two things, life is not only given by God, it's given in his image and it's given in his image so that mankind, humankind can rule the world under God so that we can use a capability for knowledge and for thought and for action. We can do it all to rule the world under God and to do it in a morally correct way, like in a morally upright way, if I can put it like that. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. And so way back there at, uh, at the beginning, Adam and Eve, the first humans that God created, they were in a right relationship with God. And this right relationship with God meant they related to God correctly. They related to God's creation correctly. They related to each other correctly, right? just the way God intended, all in the right order. But Adam and Eve sinned by deciding right and wrong for themselves. They ignored God and so they broke that relationship, right? no longer in a right, perfect relationship with God and no longer morally upright. Their hearts aren't ordered anymore according to truth. And so God, who we know is perfect love and justice, is true and honourable, he's all of those things and everything else, but the effect of turning from God, it messes all that up for us. And so the human heart, it doesn't reflect those things anymore, at least not perfectly, or not even close to perfect. And that's the effect of sin, that's the effect of sin, and all of humanity have suffered from that ever since. But there's this glimmer, right? There's, there's this glimmer that all humans, we still have this moral understanding. We still have some moral understanding. We still have something of the image of God. And the purpose of life is for it to be restored through Jesus. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 3 verse 18 where he says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So can you see here God's desire for human life? This is all to say life's given by God, it's given in his image but the image is distorted because of sin. But it's there, it's in everyone whether we've come to know Jesus yet or not. And so the purpose of life is for it to be restored to God, for us to be restored to God, truly imaging God, being brought closer and closer to Christ's likeness through faith. So that's the first point. That's what life is and that's its purpose. Now second, the second point I'd like us to consider is that suffering is not the ultimate evil. Okay, that's the second point. Suffering is not the ultimate evil. So like Adam and Eve, we all reject God and the result of rejecting our creator in that way, trying to run life our own way, the result of that is death and judgment. So ever since Adam and Eve turned their backs on God in the garden, death, all the things that lead up to death, they've been a reality for the human race. And the book of Hebrews says this about that in chapter 9. It says, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, 
So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And so God's provided a way for us to be forgiven for rejecting him. Through faith in Christ, God forgives and he restores us to God. But death and all its ugliness, it's still an ever-present reality, isn't it? And I think historically, people were more accustomed to that than we are today because it was all around them. There was a book um, that I read a a part of. There was a book written in the 60s. It was called On Death and Dying by a a US doctor and psychiatrist called Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I knew I'd have trouble with that. Elizabeth Ross. Anyway, she spent thousands of hours with terminally ill patients understanding the process of dying. And at the beginning of this book... She talks about growing up in Europe and um, uh, witnessing this, the death of this farmer who she, she knew. He'd fallen out of a tree. He wasn't going to live. He was in a great deal of pain, she says, but he stayed at home. He said all his final goodbyes and he made all his final, uh, arranged his affairs. And she said, you know, as a child, she was able to participate in that. She witnessed all of that. And she makes the point that those experiences, they prepare people for death. And it helps people accept it as a reality. And she goes on in this book and she says, but today, you know, death is more likely to be lonely and impersonal than that. Rushed to the emergency room, surrounded by strangers. And she goes on to say, you know, she's not saying that we shouldn't head to hospital and be treated. She's not saying that. But she's just drawing this contrast between the way death was experienced then and the way it's experienced now. That it's changed. And as a result, our experience of others dying has changed, is her point. And that death is largely removed from our everyday life. It's almost hidden in a way. And so perhaps society has sort of become um, alienated from it and just sort of wants to live and then just sort of cease to exist. Do you know what I mean? And skip the dying bit. But that's not the reality. So I was reading about this um, Christian woman in the US um, by the name of Joni Erickson Tata. Some of you may have read her account. She had this terrible, terrible accident as a young lady and it left her as a quadriplegic. This is a, a picture of her here. And she says this, she says, If we reject God, then all that remains in life is to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. So in other words, she's saying, if that's the case... Suffering is to be avoided at all costs. But we've been discussing, haven't we, that there's much more to the purpose of life than maximising pleasure and minimising pain. And so Janie, she goes on and she says this. This is, how she, this is her view of, of the way society looks at suffering. And she says, if our culture can't fix it, cure it, medicate it, sedate it or surgically remove it, then please get rid of it because we sure can't live with it. And she's not saying that suffering in and of itself is a good thing. So please don't hear me say that. That's, that's not what I'm saying and I'm not minimising suffering or trying to take away the weight of suffering. I'm not trying to do those things. But I do want us to consider suffering. Because as I said earlier, 
there's legislation that's just gone through Parliament here locally about abortion and euthanasia is being discussed right now. And suffering is at the heart of both of those debates. Suffering is at the heart of both of those debates. Uh, both of those debates. Women who've suffered terribly in the way that they may have become pregnant have a choice if abortion is legal. And those that are terminally ill, those that are in chronic pain, they have a choice to end it if euthanasia is made available. Now I can only imagine what it's like to be in those situations. I haven't experienced those things. And as a bloke, you know, there's, there's examples I can never experience. I can only imagine the pain and the loss of independence and the feeling of losing control over my own body. I can only imagine those things. And I know that there'll be people here today where this is very real. So please don't hear me say that it's not important and that it's not significant. Because it is. But I know that God works for the good of all those who love him. That's what we're told in Romans 8 in verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. So it's not saying that suffering in itself is good and it's not minimising suffering, but it's saying that ultimately God fits all things together for good. Even those things that are just so painful, so incomprehensible. Even those things, God fits into a pattern for the good of those who love him. The realisation of his plan to have us restored to him. You know, some people, they might come to know the Lord Jesus in their very final moments. That happens. And I am sure many of us here could testify that actually it's through our very hardest times that we grow in our dependence and in our love of God. And knowing that death is close sharpens the focus on what's really important It gives time to mend broken relationships, to express love, to hear the gospel. I was in a um, palliative care ward not so long ago and um, you can see families in there, you know, having those last conversations, sharing love, opportunities for people to hear the gospel. And God, he understands our suffering because he suffered for us. If you read back through the Gospels, he anticipated, Jesus anticipated something so horrendous, his sweat was like drops of blood as he prayed in anguish to the Father before he went to his death. And then he hung on the cross, physically abused, tortured into death. And worse than that, he endured God's anger for humanity's sin. It's unimaginable horror. God's anger. Endured for us so that we don't have to. And so because of that, he understands what it is to suffer because he suffered to bring us forgiveness. So suffering, even though we might struggle to understand it, it's not the ultimate evil. And if we trust what Jesus did for us on the cross, if we turn to him in repentance and faith, we are reconciled with God ultimately to be with him forever, resurrected in body, where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, for all eternity. 
which I think is so much longer than we can really comprehend. That brings me to the final point that I want us to consider this morning, that life isn't ours to take. Life is not ours to take. Now this gospel that I've just talked about, this gospel that Jesus offers, it's a free offer and it's held out to everyone who has something of the image of God in them. That is everyone. That is a free offer held out to all and offered to be conformed more and more to his image. And it's an offer that says, do you know, it doesn't matter what you ever did or what choices you ever made. Trust me, says Jesus, and you are forgiven. There is no more guilt. You are washed completely clean. And taking up that offer, that is possible at any point before death when we'll face our maker right up to those final moments and those final breaths that offer is open and so it is not up to us to take the decision to end life or to do anything actually to take away the opportunity for people to hear the gospel or for anybody actually that might be in the room to hear the gospel as it's being proclaimed I think Christ suffered more than I think we probably comprehend actually to provide that free offer of life to everybody, to all in the image of God and we don't have the right to take that away. And practically for our society there is real danger when we give ourselves permission to do that. Because we are made in God's image as I said earlier but human sin has distorted our view of morality And so those laws around things like uh, euthanasia and abortion will be used for more evil. It's inevitable. Like The human race is not qualified to make those decisions. And some of these things I'm about to say are confronting, but in Victoria, late-term abortion, it's been legal for many years. And since that legislation was put in place, there's been around 200 live births from failed terminations and those babies are left to die because legally the nursing staff aren't allowed to save them I cannot imagine the trauma of those poor mothers or the nursing staff I can't imagine that now the complete opposite story I know a woman in Sydney I know of a woman in Sydney years ago she was a a victim of, of a horrendous crime she was left pregnant But she kept the baby and she did suffer terribly, that woman, as she raised that child. And I think she suffered in a way that few of us will ever really understand what she went through. But that daughter grew up to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So she'll be there. She will be there in heaven, saved with us. In the Netherlands, they legalised euthanasia uh, many years ago now. And if you look at the statistics at the, of the Netherlands, you know, the number of cases that um, took up euthanasia, the number of deaths increased after the legislation passed, which you know, I guess you'd expect that. But if you look carefully at the statistics, the number of deaths that were conducted without request or without discussion, like those with dementia patients, because you, you can't, they also increased. You know, so it's, hard, it's not hard to see how things can go wrong quite quickly in Belgium those laws euthanasia laws they've been extended to children 
And an 11-year-old was euthanized because of cystic fibrosis. But the life expectancy for that condition is about 40. See, life is not ours to take. Now, practically, our community can address these issues in other ways. I listened to a, um, a Christian doctor um, some years ago now who used to run a palliative care facility and her view was instead of investing in euthanasia let's invest in high quality palliative care for near the end of life so people can be made comfortable and her opinion was there is no need to suffer in that way we have the technology and the expertise to deal with that in our own direct control our church community can gather around and support people so they don't feel like they need to make those sorts of decisions Welcoming single mums into our community, caring, practically supporting those who sacrificially care for the sick and the suffering, packing a box or making a meal or offering to babysit, lending an ear, reading some scripture, praying together. Building a support network for people like that. It's just made up of lots of little intentional steps like those. And I know, I know right here in our church community there are some really good examples of that. And praise God for it. Because we Christians know the value of life. We are made in God's image. And we know its purpose. To be brought back into relationship eternally with God. And we know that God's way is best. Whether we're followers of Jesus or not. And that's why we affirm that life is sacred. And we don't have the right to stand in the place of God. And determine when life should end. That's why God who loves so much sent his son. To forgive us through faith. To bring us to him so we can trust that. And trust that he will put it all right. And use it all for the good of those who love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we do thank you for the way that you've created life. And that you've created us in your image. Father, we pray that you'd give us the courage to stand by your truth. That we would speak it in love and that we wouldn't compromise. Father, we uh, pray that you'd help us to truly know your son and to be brought to his likeness. Help us to lift our eyes to you and to patiently persevere. And build deep endurance that whatever befalls us, Father, we might remain faithful to you. And be humble before you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.